All right. We, we talked about some things Wednesday night. It was really good. I want to encourage you guys to come on Wednesday nights because um, we get into some pretty deep conversations. It's called conversations appropriately. And I usually mess it up when I get in there because they, they have kind of a track that they're going on and then I come in and I ask a goofy question. <laughs> no, I'm just curious. Yeah, but it's fun because I'm like, I genuinely, I'm curious about this. And one of the questions I was asking, we talked about was kind of trust and like healing. How does that, all that work? Because we've seen both ways. And so we just got into a deep conversation about it and that kind of springboarded towards what I'm going to talk about now. Before I get into it, I have to tell you briefly what I went through this past week. Many of you know, uh, it was Saturday of this past week. Um, we had planned uh, maybe a month before a group of our friends wanted to go off-roading up at Bogs and Boulders in Andalusia. And I've never taken my Jeep like to a real like off-road park, and I wanted to see how well it would do since I've built it. And so I talked to Trace, and she was like, yeah, that sounds great. I don't think anything's going on. It'll be a good time to get away and just chill out. So I went. Well, everything kind of went wrong. The bridge, the, the bridge was ice. The roads were ice. People were running off the road. We were stuck on the side of the road for like two hours. We finally made it there, and it was a blast. I had a really, really good time. The whole time I felt a little bit guilty because Tracy and Carolyn were back at the house cleaning out like one of the rooms that we're remodeling. I was like, God, just I'm really enjoying myself, but I feel bad about that too. Um, and so on the way back, uh, and on the way back, it was Chris and I, and I was driving, and we were just passing. It was two and a half hours north. It's about 8.30 at night, and we're on our way back, and we're passing Moffat Road going south, and my back starts hurting. And I thought, maybe it's just from being in this, I've had back issues lately, so I thought, maybe it's being in this uncomfortable Jeep for two and a half hours, you know, there and on the way back. And so I pulled over, it started to hurt real bad, so I pulled over to try to stretch, I was thinking maybe it's a muscle tensing up. Got out of the gas station, walked around, and by the time I got, I went to the bathroom in there, came back out the gas station. By the time I got out the gas station, I was like, no, I know what this is. About 18 years ago, I had two kidney stones that I passed, and I was like, this is a kidney stone, I can tell it's getting real, real bad. So by the time I got to the Jeep, I had to ask Chris to drive. And he drove me to the hospital, and we got to the hospital, and I also can't say enough about Chris. Poor Chris. Man, driving my Jeep, um, which Chris can drive a five-speed, my Jeep's not the easiest, so we're just bucking and driving. And just, <laughs> and it's full of mud. I mean, we're just filthy. We've got boots on full of mud, and we're tracking it all through the hospital, and, and, uh, and we're trying to apologize. I'm sorry. And they're like, it's okay. We've seen much worse than this. And, and, uh, and immediately, as soon as I got there, I said, it's not happening yet, but if it's anything like last time, I'm going to need some bags. <laughs> to get rid of everything that's in my stomach. And sure enough, as soon as they gave it to me, I mean, and, I'm, and the nurses aren't helping us at all, and I'm just handing them to Chris. I feel bad now. I didn't know what to do. I was like, I don't know what to do with all these. And Chris is just standing there like, I don't know what to do with these. So it was a bonding experience for Chris and I, to say the least. And, uh, and I'm, I mean, I'm in extreme pain, and I'm, you know, oh. And, uh, and I don't know why. It's still, I still don't fully understand why. It's like my body just panics when pain. It's like, everybody out. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Everything gone. I need everything out of here. So anyway, so we finally get back there and uh, go through the whole deal. And we were there for several hours. And we had really good conversation in the midst of, <laughs> in the midst of a lot of pain. Um, but I was really thankful for, for having somebody there. And then um, driving me all the way back home as well. <clears throat> and tracking mud through the hospital. It was, it was very interesting. But... In the midst of all that, the first thing that I thought of, of all things, of being a quote-unquote grace preacher and knowing that we're not under the law anymore was, maybe it's because I didn't help Tracy and I went and went off-road, I swear. And I haven't told anybody that, like, this is really what I was thinking. Was my first thing was, like, is this punishment for going and having fun while they're working? Yeah, and I mean, I really, I, I really thought about that in the back of my head. I was, and as I'm praying to relieve the pain, I'm like, do, do I deserve this? Maybe this is something I did. But it's so strange, and I want to uh, hopefully help some of you guys 
I should know better, right? I mean, that's not at all what it was, but that was my kind of my gut reaction was, I've done something wrong, this is punishment, because it sure feels like punishment right now. In the same way, in the following week, I took off, I didn't officially take off, but I stayed home. Um, about three days, uh, that was Saturday, Sunday, and I felt better Sunday morning, and listen to your wives, guys. I told Tracy, I was like, I can go, I'm fine, I want to be there for Brian, it's going to be awesome. And she was like, no, you need to stay home just in case it hits again, because it'll come and go. I was like, no, I'm good, let's go, or whatever. Sure enough, at 11 o'clock, it hit again, I, it, I still hadn't passed it. So it was Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, did I pass it Tuesday or Wednesday? Tuesday or Wednesday, anyway, I finally did, and they just gave me pain medicine, I stayed in bed, um, took Finnegan, and it just knocked me out, so I was just in bed for like three days. Um, and then went back to work Thursday and immediately had to go out of town. Had to go to Louisiana and then go from Louisiana. I was supposed to go to Birmingham, but it changed. I had to go to Enterprise. So I was driving a lot. Well, in that time, here's the crazy thing. In that time, I've never had this happen before. I've done it before a long time ago, but I've never had it happen before. I drove through uh, a Starbucks and somebody paid for it in front of me. Have you ever had that happen? I was like, well, that was pretty cool. And then, like, the next day, I drove through a McDonald's for breakfast. It's all bad things I probably shouldn't be eating and drinking after I passed kidney stones. But anyway, I was on the road, and I needed something to keep me awake. So passed through McDonald's, and it happened again. Somebody else bought my food for me. This is like twice in a row. And what do you think my immediate reaction was? That's a blessing. I must have done something right. <laughs> I, ser- like, I wish I could tell you that I didn't think that, but I th- that's the first thing I thought of. I was like, well, what a blessing this is. I must have done something right. But how like backwards is that, that we, even, even all of us, no matter how far along we are, mature in, in grace and in the Lord, we still have this idea that, our, that what happens around us defines us, or, or the circumstance, yeah. I was just reading this devotion that was talking about John the Baptist, that when he baptized Jesus, yeah. and he knew when he saw and he even him in prison in that moment of like, what's going on, he said, is he really the one? I mean, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, everybody. And what's cool about it, and I love the video that Brian shared last week, and there's a moment in that video when he talks about no matter what we do, um, God is intimately, he's close to us. That's, that's radical because for so many years, there's, there's been a, um, a very human characteristic placed on God instead of the other way around, I think. We think that when we mess up, God checks out like we would. Here, I'm getting ahead of myself here, but here, it would be easy for us, it would require no faith for us to say, do good, get a reward, do bad, get punishment, right? That's easy. That's, that's cut and dry. That's religion. That is an imitation of what real relationships are. That's a checklist of do's and don'ts that make, make no more relationships solid than, than uh, obligation. That's why when... When, I'm, when I marry people, when I perform a marriage, not when I marry people. So we're, we're, we're performing a marriage. I mentioned it to my friend. I was like, yeah, I'm marrying your mom. And he was like, wait, I'm not marrying your mom. We're performing the marriage. Anyway, so when I do, I always talk about it. I learned that from Mark. It's a, it's a covenant, not a contract. A contract is something that you can break. <laughs> you know, it's, it's saying that you, we're, we're obligated. It's not saying that we're for each other. So the difference is this relationship we have is not a checklist of do's and don'ts. It's a, it's a reality that we, hang on. I want to say this how I see it. (laughs) It is the reality that we are so much for the other person that we speak an identity into them that they begin to become who they really are. Does that make sense? I know that kind of went way around. 
it's a, it's a truth that we speak to someone we're in a relationship with that they become more, they, they, we speak life into them and they begin to, to blossom from that life that you speak, right? Because there's power in what we say. There's power in it. Now, my gut reaction was blessings, cursings, which is Old Covenant, which is modern, it's cultural. Right and wrong is cultural, right? Some of us are raised... Um, don't smoke or drink, and some of us are raised, don't do this, do that. or You know what I mean? There's, there's, there's cultural things that say don't, don't do this, don't do that, do this, do that. Those, those can shift with where you are and how you were raised. But real right and wrong is relational. How, how do I treat this person in this situation is not the same way I treat this person in this situation. You got it? Not the circumstances surrounding this point towards this, so that's what it is. That's not always the case. Let me, okay, let me give you another example. This, this is a place I wasn't sure if I wanted to go because I don't want to be insensitive to the situation. So please bear with me, and I'm not sure we may cut it out of the podcast or not because I don't want to be insensitive because we know these people very well. But I want to give you this example because it's, it's haunted me since the question was asked. Now, this has been several months ago. We had a close friend of ours, close relative, in which we all also know them, lost a child. Um, he was 10, 12 years old, right? Uh, and the question that was asked to me in private from a good friend who is a godly man and the whole family are, are awesome Christians. And he witnessed, he was there for everything. And he witnessed a mother crying out while her son was on life support to bring him back to healing. He witnessed it, he saw it. And his question to me was, was a good one. Um, and, and like I said, has kind of haunted me. And he said, if... if uh, if God doesn't respond to that kind of crying out from a mother for her child, what will he respond to? I mean, that's a deep question. That, that, that makes you really evaluate God and you and your relationship and Christianity in general. Okay, if, if, if God isn't moved by a, a godly family crying out to bring their son back, then what moves God? That was a question he asked me, and it's bothered me ever since then. It's really, it really got to me because it, it made me think. It made me really evaluate how all this works. Now, as I've studied this, it kept coming back up, and I kept thinking, I don't need to bring that up, but I think I do. And here's why. We as a church have experienced a lot of radical things, and I've talked to people, other people about it, and and they've said, I've never seen anything firsthand like that, and we've seen many things firsthand as far as healing. We've seen seen someone completely healed of, of basically terminal Parkinson's disease. We've seen Lonnie raised from the dead. We've seen uh, Delia get up and walk after, you know, 20-something years of being paralyzed. We've seen the miraculous firsthand. We've seen it, right? There's no argument there. I can't unsee those things. And then we've seen people that we love and and we've prayed for and they've not been healed or or they've passed away, right? And so I think the default is to go to either, you either have to go one way or another, I think. And if we go to the way that says, we have to have enough faith. We have, to have, we have to basically drum up enough, I guess, power of God to heal them. Then that rests on us, right? That's, that's, a, that's a dangerous road to go down. Now, the other way we can go is with what used to be called Greek fatalism, which is what will be will be, right? We have no power. Then why do we even pray, right? That's, that's the other road you can go. And I don't think either of those are correct. Here's what I believe. And I've got lots of scripture I need to get into. I'm getting way ahead of myself, but we'll just talk. How about that? I, I believe 
I believe that just as we were talking about speaking life, we're, the, the kingdom is not a democracy. <laughs> this is where our minds get mixed up. We're, we're geared towards a democracy. The kingdom's not a democracy. It's a kingdom with a king, a good king, which we can't. That's what's hard for us to understand is he's a good king. Now, kingdom we can understand, a king we can understand, servants of a king we can understand, but sons of a genuine, 100% good king is hard for us to, to understand here. Okay? But because we're in a kingdom and we serve a good king, he is greater than us, he is bigger than us, and he is more powerful than us. And so we assume that he, he should do things in the way that we think that they should be done. But that's not how it works. Jesus went around healing people, right? But he didn't heal everybody, did he? Do you know that people were dying all over the place when Jesus was healing people? I mean, they were. In the same way, we don't determine what happens around us. We just get to be a part of it. It's like we're conduits. But the cool thing is he invites us to be a part of it, so we don't give up. We don't give up hope. We don't stop praying for healing, and, we don't, and, we're, and we're, we're no less passionate about it, right? Because we've seen it, and we know that it happens. Listen, there are many people that will never see one miracle, and I know we've seen at least three, if not more. Melvin got a new heart too, right? This, this is, these are things that we've seen. Now, a, even greater miracles, we've seen people that have been born again and baptized on this stage. What kind of miracle is that? People that were dead are now alive. These are the things that we get mixed up when something bad happens. It's polarizing. And this is why I don't want to be disrespectful because I don't know what I'd do if I lost a child. That is, you talk about polarizing, you think kidney stones and pain is polarizing. That's a pain that can't be quenched, right? That's death. But who can be there to comfort us in that? Someone who lost his own son. Who chose to experience the things that we experience so that he could be a part of our brokenness so that he could heal it. Even if it's not a physical manifestation, although those happen too. That's why Jesus said, would, would, would you rather me say he's been saved or that he's healed? Which one? It's, it's all part of the kingdom. So I think what, what happens is when we see things that don't go along with, with our theology, we don't know what to do with it, and so we try to blame either people, ourselves, we didn't have enough faith, we didn't do enough, we didn't pray enough, we didn't pray hard enough, or we blame God. It's his fault. He's all-knowing, all-powerful. He should have done something. Instead of seeing... What the Bible clearly tells us is to see all the life and see all the good in things. See his healing in the midst of brokenness of losing someone. I've seen it firsthand even amongst our friends in here when someone loses a loved one and we all just gather around them and we love them hard. We want to bring them through that. We care for them. Not so that we can check off a list and God's not mad at us because we genuinely care for people. What greater miracle is that? That we can, in as much as we can, try to help and feel that loss that they have so that we can help them. You guys have done it for us in, in many different ways. All right. Well, I kind of took off there. All right. Um, there's a few examples here. I think I'm going to skip the first one just for time purposes. Um, 
Well, I'll touch on it real quick, but I'm not going to go through the whole thing. How many of you have heard uh, Isaiah 55, 8? It says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Most of the time we use that as, as a verse by itself, out of context, like we do most everything else. I can't explain it, so I'll say it's God's ways and I can't understand them. But if you look at that verse in its context, uh, we'll look at the verse before and after just to kind of give it, give it a place. Isaiah 55, 7 says, Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will, give, he will have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. And then verse 8, For my thoughts are, are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. And so what he's saying is, your thoughts are different than my thoughts, and I'm going to give you an example. Now, if you back up Isaiah 53, 54, Isaiah 53 speaks about Jesus coming. You can go back. I'm not going to get into it all. Isaiah 54 talks about God being angry for a little while, and then he's going to be angry no more, and it's, it's kind of leading up to this. And then after uh, this, in 56, 5, it says that, that God will give new names, better names, sons and daughters, basically that the Gentiles to foreigners, that he's going to come for everybody, not just the Jews, Right? And so, when God says his, his thoughts are above our thoughts and His ways are different than our ways, but before that He says He will have mercy and He will freely pardon. So if those are His ways and they're different than our ways, then what do you think our ways are? Think about that for a minute. If His ways are to have mercy and to give people freedom, then what are our ways? To judge. Right? He's saying... He's saying, my ways are different than your ways in this. Not just, don't use this flippantly. Let's look at it in context. My ways are different than your ways. Your ways are justice. You want to see right done and wrong not done. That's pretty basic. But my ways are different than that, and they're not, they may not be fair in your eyes. So in the same way, the Jews thought, well, the Gentiles shouldn't be able to get in on this. They haven't sacrificed anything. They don't know the Torah. They don't, they don't celebrate the Sabbath. They don't eat kosher foods. Why should they be able to get in on what we get in on, right? It's not fair. It's not just. And so they had an issue with that. And that's what he's addressing here in Isaiah. So we fast forward into Romans. This is Romans eleven twenty eight. 28. Um, as far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies for your sake, but as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the, of the patriarchs. For God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. Just as you who were at one time disobedient to God have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience, so they too, so they too now have become disobedient in order that they too <laughs> may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. For God has bound everyone over to, the, to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. So he's leveled the playing field for everybody. It's not just the Jews, but it's for the Gentiles also. He's saying that it doesn't matter how kosher your food is. It doesn't matter what sacrifices you have made. It doesn't matter anything that you've done. No one was good enough to meet this, this requirement, so I've sent someone to meet it for you. He said, everyone has fallen short, even you, the Jews, and that was a hard thing to swallow. I've had discussions with people that, and I encourage you to, to talk to people that believe something different than you do because it, it helps you understand how you believe. There's nothing wrong with that. Be careful with it. Be careful that you're, you don't try to win people over with arguments. Here's why. 
you have to realize that what you're requiring of someone that believes something differently than you do to give up everything they've believed. That's a big thing. That's a part of who they are. If you've got someone that's caught up in law and religion and you start telling them about grace, they will reject it immediately, I guarantee it. Because it goes against what they've, they've lived and worked their whole lives for. That takes, that takes dignity and pride to give up and be, and be humble, like genuinely humble and, and, and be in humility to do that. And that takes time and it doesn't happen overnight. And that's why we have to be sensitive to people when we talk to them, especially about grace and about freedom. It's a great thing. And if you've discovered it, that's awesome. But if you haven't, be patient with people because they, they may not see it like you see it. And they may see it as going against they, themselves because this is who they are. You have to be careful with that. Because in the same way, Jesus met the Pharisees and said, look, I desire mercy over sacrifice. He wanted the Pharisees to see it too. He, even, he said, look, go back and read, and, and I want you to go see this. <laughs> I desire mercy for I desire relationship and you to love people over the old sacrificial system of earning everything. I want you to see it too. So Paul's blown, blown away at this. He goes on in verse 33. He's like, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? This sounds oddly familiar to Isaiah, doesn't it? Who, Paul is the best of the best as far as persecuting Christians, as far as being a Jew of Jews. He would literally go knock on doors and drag Christians out and kill them. He was a murderer. He sees that none of that, everything that he lived for, his whole life that he gave up after Damascus was all wrong. He had messed up. All that was messed up, and now he's so blown away that he's saying, wow, it's even bigger than just the Jews. It's for the Gentiles too. How unsearchable is your judgment? Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? How much bigger and greater are you that you can go beyond our whole sacrificial system and our whole belief system for centuries? Now you're opening that up to people who haven't earned it at all. What? That's not fair. That's not justice. <laughs> Think about that for a minute. Let's put it in today's, today's terms. Let's look at the person that's been in church their whole life. They've served in nursery. They've served um, cleaning the church. They've, they've, uh, they've tithed for 30 years, 40 years. And then a stranger comes in, and they put their cigarette out there, and they're not dressed nice. <laughs> and they come in here, and the Lord blesses them radically. And people bring them in, and they embrace them, they love them. And that person that's been in the church for 30 or 40 years is over there sulking and bitter because this person doesn't deserve that. They saw this person two days ago flipping somebody off. <laughs> right? They don't deserve that. That's not fair. That's not justice. That doesn't make any sense. How can God love that person and look at all of what I've done? Right? We Want versus need. That's, that's true. But here, here's also another thing. This person, and this is just one example. There's tons of other examples. So I'm not painting, please go to church. And <laughs> I'm not saying don't, don't do that. But what I'm saying is the person that is self-referential will worry about themselves and not the other people. And that's not God's heart. The person that's worried about themselves is not seeking God's heart. They're only seeking to perform so that God will be happy with them. 
Because if you're seeking God's heart, his heart is here. It says it right here. His thoughts are not like our thoughts and his ways aren't our ways. But right before it in Isaiah 55, 7, at the very end of 55, 7, he says, he will have mercy and he will freely pardon. He will freely forgive. That's God's heart. Anytime you find yourself being judgmental and wanting to cut people off, go back and ask the Holy Spirit what God, God's heart is and his are greater than our ways and he seeks to forgive and pardon. That's his heart. And when you see that, you become le- less self-referential and more um, Holy Spirit referential, <laughs> referring back to your source. I, this whole thing, this is one of my, this is one of my issues. <laughs> I'm going to give you, I, I always tell you I need a couch up here. I need a couch so y'all can counsel me. And you only say, how does that make you feel? <laughs> I have to apologize to Tracy, and I, I did it. I did it this morning, because um, honestly, I'm a big baby when I get sick. Like, and she'll agree, I'm sure. I'm a big baby when I get sick, and all I all I think about is what's going on with me. Now, given I know kidney stones are bad and they hurt and everything like that, but I I don't have to be that way. Even in the midst of some of those things, I don't have to be so caught up in what's going on. And I just and it, it, it is, like I said, sometimes so polarizing that nothing else matters. And so I just almost just sulk and complain because I'm hurting, you know. And I'm not saying that you can't do that at all, but I'm just saying that that can lead to some bad things because if you know several years ago, I thought I was going to die. Do you all remember that? I thought I was convinced I was dying. The ER nurses were basically telling me I was crazy, and I kind of was, but I was so convinced that I was dying, that I felt like I was dying. My body began to react to it. And this was one of the cool conversations Chris and I had in the ER when I was moaning with kidney stones. He was saying he either read or watched a documentary about, uh, it was like Eastern medicine or whatever, where it's like mind over matter, where they don't treat them with any medicine. They just basically try to convince them that they're okay and they get better. And it was cool because he was like, it's, it's really cool because it wasn't anything having to do with, with Christian faith, but it's exactly the same way we believe. When we renew our minds to healing, our body begins to heal. When we realize who we are, when our mind is renewed to the reality of, of, of who we are in Christ, our body follows suit, right? It's been proven that worry and stress will cause stomach ulcers and heart attacks, right? And what's the Bible tell us? Don't worry. Have peace. Don't stress. It won't add an inch to your height. So there's a, there's a parallel there where they've almost got it. They're like, We'll, and they do, they, I think we talked about the same thing they do with tests where they'll, give, they'll do controlled tests. They'll give a lot of people this medicine. They'll give other, other people placebo or whatever, just like sugar pills. And then they'll get better because they think they're receiving medicine. It, and it's not just a, just a mind over matter thing, but I think it's an ingrained thing that's in our DNA that when we were created through Christ, that we have confidence in the body that he created for it to heal itself. Does that make sense? And so I find myself, even this morning when I was going over everything and studying, going, wow, I really got caught up in being deflected from who I am in Christ just because I had kidney stones. Because I was so caught up in the problem, I didn't see the solution in it. Does that make sense? And I shouldn't do that. And me of all people should get that, but I, like everybody else, I make mistakes. So just, that's why we need each other, yeah. And I, and I was reminded of that this morning when, <laughs> gosh, I, I couldn't do anything 
Tracy and I are, are one. We are married, but I couldn't do anything I do without her. I come here several hours early in the morning just to pray and get prepared for everything. And she stays home and gets all the kids ready. And this morning, I was in here praying, and she sent me a text and asked me where the keys to her car were. And so, and I had the keys last, and I didn't know where they were. And so for all of that, she had to struggle and get all, I'm, you know, I'm in here loving everybody and praying, and she's having to struggle to get the kids ready. So I just, I'm very thankful for my wife. I just want to say that. I don't know where I was going with that, but thank you. <laughs> thank you for putting up with me. Yes. Because <laughs> I get up here and I get to teach and everybody's like, oh, yeah, I really I appreciate that. But I, I'm not me without her. Um, so I just want to acknowledge that. All right. Um, okay. We'll skip to the end. <laughs> uh, we'll skip. <laughs> I'm not going to skip, but we're going to skip to the end. We're going to go to Jonah. How many of you know the story of Jonah? Raise your hands. Jonah, the fish. Everybody knows the fish, but I want to focus on the last part of it. Well, we'll go through the first part, but I'll go through briefly. Jonah, Jonah hears from God, and God says, go to Nineveh, uh, preach to them, um, tell them to change their ways. They're doing some bad stuff. Um, I always go to the Veggie Tales, like they're hitting everybody with fish. Do you all remember the Veggie Tales one? They're slapping people with the fish. But truth be told, the Ninevites were real, real bad people, and they were murdering people, and I don't want to get too graphic, but they would skin them and put their skin on chairs, and they had skulls lined up outside the city to let people know what was up when they came in there. They were bad news bears. So God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh, and he goes, okay, and then he gets on a boat and goes the opposite way. He's like, I'm not going anywhere near Nineveh. He goes the opposite way. God, uh, God sends some winds. There's a storm. The people that aren't godly freak out, and they're like, what's going on? They find him. Anyway, he ends up going overboard. Fish swallows him, brings him back, comes out, delivers him. Um, and we all kind of know that story, right? And he goes to Nineveh. Now, he goes to Nineveh, and he, he preaches, preaches to them, tells them to change their ways, and they all change their ways. They all repent. Even the, the, the king, everybody repents. They put on sackcloth or whatever they do, and, and they repent, and they come, and they're all forgiven, and they're all saved, all of them, like 120,000 of them. Huge city. It takes three days to walk across it, the Bible says. Massive city full of people, men, women, children, and animals. Huge city, 120,000 people at least. They're all saved. So afterwards, Jonah leaves. And this is, we're going to start in Jonah 4, and then I'm going to wrap up with this. And I'm going to read it out of the message because I like Eugene Peterson's version. I love the way he writes it. Um, and we're going to start in Jonah 4. And this is the part that a lot, I think a lot of people overlook. And this is kind of where I want to wrap up today. It's Jonah 4. Verse 1, it says, Jonah was furious. (laughs) Okay, think about what just happened. He went into a city full of murderers and bad people that were doing bad things. They all are forgiven. God's favor's on them now, and they're all good. And he leaves furious. It says he lost his temper. He yelled at God. God, I knew it. (laughs) When I was back home, I knew this was going to happen. That's why I ran off to Tarshish. I knew you were... Sheer grace and mercy, and, and not easily angered, rich in love, and ready at the drop of a hat to turn your plans of punishment into a program for forgiveness. So God, if you won't kill them, kill me. <laughs> I'm better off dead. God said, what do you have to be angry about? But Jonah just left, so Jonah storms off. He went out of the city to the east and sat down and sulked. 
He put together a makeshift shelter of leafy branches and sat there in the shade to see what would happen to the city. God arranged for a broadleaf tree to spring up. It grew over Jonah to cool him off and get him out of his angry sulk. Jonah was pleased, and he enjoyed the shade. Life was looking up. But then God sent a worm. (laughs) By dawn of the next day, the worm had bore into the shade tree, and it withered away. The sun came up, and God sent a hot, blistering wind from the east. The sun beat down on Jonah's head, and he started to faint. He prayed to die. I'm better off dead. Then God said to Jonah, What right do you have to get angry about this shade tree? Jonah said, Plenty of right. It's made me angry enough to die. God said, What's this? How is it that you can change your feelings from pleasure to anger overnight about a mere shade tree that you did nothing to get? You neither planted nor watered. It grew up one night and died the next night. So why can't I likewise change what I feel about Nineveh from anger to pleasure? This big city of more than 120,000 childlike people who don't yet know right from wrong to say nothing of all the innocent animals. What right do you have to complain about a tree that you didn't have anything to do planting and growing and nothing to do with it dying? But you were ready to, for me to murder and kill 120,000 childlike people that didn't even know right from wrong. What a perspective to give someone. This is the way I find ourselves when things don't go our way, when we, like the shirt, when we get punched in the face. We all have a plan, and then we get punched in the face, and things change, right? And then we go, just kill me now. I mean, just, I'm done, right? When God has great plans for us, if we'll just allow him to work through us, if we'll just allow allow him to show us through our own finite thinking and mind, because we're very limited on what we can see, right? We're humans, so we can only see so far. We can only hear so far. But if we'll allow a supernatural God to help us see things bigger and see things brighter, (laughs) then he'll, he'll demonstrate it through us. It's something that we don't create on our own, We don't have to have enough faith. We just have to receive and distribute. It's something that we get to be a part of that he allows us to be a part of. And so when we see these things, we can can curse God. We can curse the ground. We can curse the trees. We can just curse, I guess. Or we can see the bigger picture, the meta-narrative of what's going on. God's allowed us to be a part of something greater than ourselves. He's allowed us to see things that not everybody can see. And he's allowed us to be able to give mercy when people deserve justice. He's, he's, he's given us a heart and a mind beyond our own physical heart and mind that we can now look at things and we can see that it's beyond right and wrong and it's beyond just justice, but now it's more relational and we can actually love people in the midst of their sin and we can love people in the midst of their mistakes. And we can demonstrate how good he is to other people because we treat them the way he treats us. How quickly do we forget how forgiven we were and how forgiven we are when we run across somebody that does something that we don't know what to do with? There's a big to-do about specific sins in our culture. And we want to narrow down and point those out. And we we want to build up an argument against it and fight people. And it's not people we should be fighting. We don't fight against flesh and blood. 
we receive from a sacrifice made 2,000 years ago that has given us the power to love people in the midst of their worst. And all these things that we want to railroad and call the worst sins ever is, is where we need more love and more grace to bring them out of it. We need more people speaking identity into those people and not condemning them constantly. We need more people reading John three seventeen and saying there's life for you. There's a better life for you. There's a truth beyond what you see right now. You've been hurt. You've been hurt deeply. And the reason, the reason you're living the way you're living, regardless of what, I'm not even going to say any of it because it, it could be anything. All of your minds are going in different directions probably. Y'all got it figured out. <laughs> but whatever it is, there's a, there's a, there's a cut and there's a, there's a deep hurt in someone and there's a reason why they're trying to fill it with sin because all sin is a shortcut to something that God wants you to have anyway. You talk about greed or pride or sexual sins. God wants you to enjoy sex in marriage. God wants you to enjoy relationship. He wants you to be blessed but he wants to do it. He wants you to trust him to do it. And for too long, the church has tried to condemn people instead of loving people and showing them the better way. You focus on the problem and you'll die thinking about it. You focus on the, the solution and you'll have life and have it more abundantly. Stand up with me. I went over. We'll be all right. Maybe the rain will... Lighten up a little bit. Father, your, your word says your truth is beyond even our own conscience. We all have a conscience that tells us a little bit of a, a right from wrong. But your word is even above that, and your truth is even above that. And it brings us into a reality that we, we don't even think that we can have. It brings us into a life that we don't even deserve. It brings us into relationships that... We could never have on our own because we would mess them up. And I'd be the first one to mess them up. Stick my foot in my mouth. <laughs> but Father, you, you create patience in us as we, we meet people and we, we build these relationships and then they offend us or we offend them, but we look past it because we see you in them. And we see your truth and we see life. We don't just look at the offenses, but we become unoffendable. Because our source is not people. You didn't tell us to abide in people. You said abide in you. And so we draw from you and we draw life from you. And when we're hurt, we see that people are hurt and the ones that hurt us are hurt. And we don't see that as an attack on us. We see that as, a, as an attack on them. <laughs> we see that, that, that they're coming from a place that they don't see you and they don't feel you like we do. And so we can, we can help people like that and not just retaliate. So Father, as we... As we leave this place, we all have our own specific assignments, Lord, and we all live our own lives and we brush up against people every day. Lord, open our eyes to those people in the stores, in the workplaces, in the schools, in our families. Open our eyes to see you in them. Father, help us to draw it out of them and to speak it into them so that it begins to blossom and to grow and we see real change, not just, uh, not just surfacey change that, that, that looks good, and feels good for a, for a moment and it's taken away from us because it's all built upon ourselves. But Father, let us see the Holy Spirit in everything. And let us let you lead, Father. We submit to you not out of, fil- of fear and guilt, but out of trust 
and knowledge that your ways are better than our ways and your thoughts are better than our thoughts. And when we seek judgment, you seek mercy. And when we want to give up, you don't give up. So thank you, Father, for new eyes and new ears and a new mouth that speaks life into people. In Jesus' name, amen.